welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Alrighty, this morning I'm just going to talk uh, about a few points from particularly chapter 8 from Nehemiah. There is something I want to highlight in chapter 7. Uh, it says at the start of chapter 7, after the walls was finished I had set up doors in the gates the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed and I gave responsibility of the governing of Jerusalem to my brother Hanani along with Hananiah the commander of the fortress and this is what I want to highlight for he was a faithful man who feared God more than most he makes note here that he gives a, a, a responsibility, a, a, an influential uh, place of authority to a man who was faithful. His qualification was that he was faithful, that he was a faithful man who feared God more than most. And I think Nehemiah understood that, that when you are faithful as a person, when you're faithful to God and you're faithful to what he puts in front of you, then you will do your very best to do what he wants. And so it highlights to us again the importance of faithfulness when it comes to following Jesus. I, I honestly believe that favor seems to be attracted to faithfulness. It's those who are faithful to what is in front of them that God seems to, to, to kind of give a little bit more to. He actually says, Jesus says, if you are faithful with the little, then you can be faithful with more. You can be faithful with greater things. And so before we jump to the governor, maybe we need to be faithful in putting some rocks together in the wall. He gets the opportunity to be a part of the building process. And then Nehemiah sees his faithfulness and, and sees the faithfulness of God in him. And says, okay, I'm going to put you in a position where now you can be faithful in a different way, in a different setting. But faithfulness uh, is, is so important when it comes to following Jesus and being part of community. That we're faithful to him and we're faithful to what he puts in front of us. We read on then in, in chapter 7 and you see this whole list of names again. Uh, the, all of the people who came back from um, captivity into Jerusalem. And it's not just in Nehemiah's time. It traces back to when Zerubbabel brought a group through uh, and all of the other people uh, that had come through. And as we just heard, it all adds up. I didn't take the time to add that up. There's a lot of numbers there, but uh, it all adds up. And so now we're in this place where the, the people have come back from captivity and they are just about to, they're, they're, they've rebuilt the walls and so now they're uh, moving into their home. What happened in Nehemiah 1 was we saw that Nehemiah had a concern for the walls of Jerusalem. And then from there, that concern led to them moving into a place of construction where they started to construct the walls. And then from that place of construction, we see a space where there is conflict, where the enemy starts to oppose them. And now after the conflict is gone, the construction is finished, the next part of the book moves into a stage of consecration. So they've moved into the physical location. They've inherited again their, their, their physical uh, home. But now it becomes about the people becoming a spiritual people. It's about the consecration of the people. There's been a physical rebuilding and now we're starting to go into a spiritual rebuilding are coming back to what God had, had purposed them for as a community. Um, 
who, who has ever sung a song before and you found yourself singing the wrong lyrics? Every worship leader in this place is like, I know, I know what you're saying. You sing songs and you're like, you, you sing the wrong lyrics. For, for so many years in my, in my primary school career, I call it a career, uh, in my primary school career, I sang the wrong words to the national anthem. You're laughing like you know what the words are. No one knows the words to the national anthem. You want to test it? We all know the first verse, but when you get to the second, like people start to drop off. It's like Amazing Grace. <laughs> Everyone knows that first part of Amazing Grace, but you hit that second verse and then you lose people. And then the, the third verse is like, there's a third verse? <laughs> what? Here you go. That's why. Thank you. And he's an Australian chaplain for the Air Force, so you should know that. Yeah. So what's the, what's the rest? We made it up. Really? On purpose, okay. Well, I feel a lot better. I feel vindicated here. But my, my issue wasn't with the second verse, though. <laughs> it was the first part. It was that part where it says, I thought it said, wealthy toys. <laughs> Someone help me with this line. Our land <coughs> and nations give of beauty rich and where? Now we've skipped it. We've gone too far. Golden soils and wealth for toil. I thought it was wealthy toys. And I'm singing for like a long time, like wealthy toys, because, you know, like we import heaps of really good toys and Australian kids seem to have good toys. And you look elsewhere in the world and there's not that many good toys. And so I thought that made sense that it was wealthy toys, but obviously it's not. And then someone told me it's wealth for toil. And I'm like, what is that? Did we make that up? What is a wealth for toil? It makes more sense as wealthy toys. And I went through this thing in my primary school career and then my high school career of getting into rap music. And rap music is like, you make your own lyrics. It doesn't matter what someone's actual lyrics are because when you start rapping, you, no one knows what anyone's saying. So you kind of just make your own stuff up. So it was really suited to me being a, a lyricist, someone who made up my own lyrics. And um, at times, you know, you hear people rapping and making those lyrics and it's like, I, I think it's a good way to start speaking in tongues. It's a good place to start if you, if you want to... I was just joking there. <laughs> but making up your own lyrics to songs is what, what happens when you miss the lyric or you don't know what the words are. You just kind of make up your own song to go along with it, right? I've got a video here I've put together of some uh, wrong lyrics. Gotta get that. Gotta get that. Gotta get that.
The hot dogs go on, and everyone said amen. Hey, there is a reason for playing that. The lyrics, that if we don't have the lyrics to the song, we, we seem to just make up the words that fit. So it can be with our walk with Jesus, when we don't have his word in our heart, we make up or we go along with whatever sounds good, whatever catches our attention, whatever my culture may tell us, or the lyrics that we should be singing, the words that we should be applying to our lives. And so it's so important for us to get God's word and to get it into our hearts and into our spirits so that we know the lyrics for life, so that we know what God has said and what God is saying, and so we can, we can live according to the way that he has patterned life for us. And if we veer away from his word, then we tend to just insert whatever sounds good, looks good, can lead us wherever we want to go, lead us in different places. And so the first part that we see in Nehemiah 8 is that the people come together and there is a returning to the word of God. They return to the word of God. That's the first thing that we see in Nehemiah chapter 8. Reading from verse 1, it says, In October, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled with unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. What is so, what is so uh, important here is that we see that the, the people... They get into their, 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 their city again. And the first thing that they do is they come together, it says, with a unified purpose. And that unified purpose we see is to hear the word of God being read. Unity just floods through the book of Nehemiah. And this in particular gives us a key to unity. Because unity is more than just being together in one space. Unity has to go beyond just our geographical location. Otherwise, we couldn't be united with our brothers and sisters in churches across Australia, across the nation. It goes beyond just a, a place and it comes down to purpose. Part of unity in the body of Christ is being unified on our purpose, not just in the place. And at purpose... Let me tell you this, when, when, when we're unified on purpose, on our purposes, we, we become uh, okay with letting go of our preferences. 
when we hold on to the purposes of why we come here, we, we, our preferences start to diminish. My preference for uh, a certain worship leader or a certain song or a certain color on the walls starts to diminish when I understand that there's actually a purpose that we're here today and it goes beyond what this building looks like. It goes beyond whoever's on the stage. It goes beyond that. There's a, there's a much greater purpose that unifies us. And it says that the people came together with a unified purpose in this moment. And what strikes me in, that, in, in, the, in chapter 1 is the word they. They asked Ezra to read, to bring out the book of law and to, to read it to them. This wasn't something that was driven by Nehemiah or Ezra to get people together and say, okay, now we've moved back home. Now we need to start getting back into the word. There was a desire in the hearts of the people to hear God's word again. And so they brought it together. They came together. They had the hunger. They had the desire to devote themselves to God's word. And we see something similar in Acts chapter 2 where it says that all of the disciples came together and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves. It wasn't something that was driven or manipulated or something that the leaders stood there and said, hey, we need to get back into the word of God. The heart of the people was, we want to get back to hear what God said. Now, if we backtrack and we look at the history of the people, remember that they had been taken into captivity into a slave nation, into a nation that, that made them into slaves, that, that intentionally, if you read through the start of Daniel, when, when they're taken into Babylon, you will see that, that there's an intentional dismantling of community identity that takes place. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar changes the names of people. From Daniel, he changes his name. Shadrach, Meshach, those, are, those are, are Chaldean names. They're names that are given to them from the Babylonians, which actually mock their original names. Their original names speak of, you know, like Yahweh has done this or uh, Yahweh is this. And then the names that they're given are, 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 are from different gods, Babylonian gods, that, that break down their identity. And it says in Daniel that they were then told to, that they had to read the literature of the, the Babylonians for three years. They, had to, they were indoctrinated. So it wasn't just that they had forgotten about God's word. It was like they were taken out of a place where they had this assembly point, where they were able to get around the word of God, where they were able to pray. We remember Daniel was, was in trouble for praying. Their, their spiritual disciplines were broken down part of their captivity. And so when they come back to this place, there is this, this desire in them to get back to the word of God, to return to what God has said. And so it says there that they, they brought, it, brought it out. And October the 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included men and women and all the children old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning. Listen to this. From early morning until noon. And he read aloud to everyone who could understand. And all the people listened closely to the book of law. From early morning until noon. It sounds like one of our services. From early morning until noon, they just read, he read through and the people were, were captivated by hearing again what God had said in his word. There's got to be a returning to the word of God. Now, culture would tell us many things. 
culture says a lot of things about what life is about, what, what, what we should believe, and all, all these different ideologies, theologies, all these different uh, methodologies and mythologies and all this other stuff that, that is commentary to our lives and speaks into our lives. And if we're not careful, can become what we believe and what we walk out. And so we see here the first thing that the people do as they start to, to, to walk through some sort of spiritual renewal is that they go back to the Word of God. If, any, if ever there was a time for the church to make sure that we are not walking away from the Word of God, the time is now. Because there is so much opposition to what God says. There's so much things, there's so many different voices that are telling us what we should believe and what we should live like and what life should look like. But we have to go back to God's word. For any type of revival, for any type of renewal, we have to return to the word of God. It's so important. It's got to stay central to what we say, what we think, what we believe and how we live. So returning back to the Word of God. Lockie, if you could put those passages up from um, 2 Timothy, is it chapter 3? This is what Timothy, uh, Paul writes to Timothy, and he's talking about, just before this, about the, the days that are coming and the end days and, the, and how there will be all this different stuff happening. And he says, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know that they are true, for you, can, you know that you can trust those who taught you. For you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us what to do to do what is right. God uses it to prepare people to do every good work. He gives this contrast. This is what's going to happen in those, in those last days. Is There's going to be people that just want to hear what they want to hear. And, 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 and they want to hear whatever tickles their ears. But you, Timothy, you need to stand firm in the word of God. Because you know it's true. He then goes on in, in chapter 4. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. And by the way, later in the year, we're going to do a series on eternity, heaven, hell, judgment, that sort of stuff. He says this, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether, it is, whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when they will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They'll reject the truth and chase after myths. The time is coming and I think we're here where, where this is taking place. And so it's so important for us as Christians, for us as a church, to come back to what God says. We've got to come back to what God says. We can't deviate from it. We can't walk away from it. A returning to the word of God. The next thing that we see there in verse 4 is there is a reverence for the Word of God. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform that had been made for the occasion. So they actually went out of their way to build a, a platform just for this occasion so that he could read, read this to them. Uh, to his right stood Mattatiah, some other guys, and to his left stood another group of guys, and then... Ezra stood on the platform in view of all of the people. When they saw him open the book, they all rose to their feet. So they actually went out of their way to prepare a platform so that when the, the, the book was read, people, people could see and people could hear. 
To me, it says that they had a reverence for God's word. They wanted the word of God to be elevated. To be elevated so that people could hear it and see it. And so they would have a good position in in the community, that, that it was raised up. There's probably also physical reasons for them doing that. But uh, part of that being reverence for the word. And it says, as he, as he opened it, when they saw him open it, they stood to their feet in anticipation for what was to come. That speaks to me again about reverence for God's word. Not treating it as common. Not, not treating it as if it's, it, it's just another book. But treating it as it is God's word. Not making it God itself. But treating it as if it is the word of God that has been given to us. I heard a story about a pastor in, in Brazil, and he was, uh, he was on the streets of Brazil. He was a missionary pastor, and he was uh, going to, to a place where he was going to preach. And he got um, held up at knife point by a couple of uh, Brazilian guys, and they asked him, they said to him, give us your money. And he's like, I've only got like one or two dollars. And so he, he, they said, well, what's in your bag? And he reaches into his bag, and he pulls out a Bible. And this is what they say, a true story. They say, oh, you have a Bible? We're sorry. They shook his hand and left because they had reverence for God's word. They, they understood that even what, with what they were doing, that there was something special, something significant about the word of God. And so they left. I wonder if we hold the, God's word in the same esteem. I wonder if we, we value and treasure the words that are in this book. Or do we just think, you know, we just get familiar with it. If, if you were starving to death and someone put food in front of you, you would be so hungry. And it looks like that's what's happening with these people. They've been so out of, out of touch with God, God's identity for them, with the word for them. And now they're just like, oh, we need that. And we can become familiar with it. It's just another book and I'll put it on the shelf and I'll let dust collect on it. And I'll pull it out for a special occasion when I need to lead a life group or give a devotion or put something on my Instagram. This is a book that has the words of God in it. And they stand to their feet. I, I, I'm lucky that wasn't me. Because I'll be playing with that. I'll be like, and they'll stand. And they'll sit. And they'll stand. And they'll half stand, 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 stand. So lucky that wasn't me. But, but there just seems to be this reverence for, for what was about to be read. And they were ready. They were anticipating. This is God's word. He's speaking to us. We have a question. I haven't looked into that, but we can talk about that after. I'll look into it. The um, now where am I? It's all right. The reverence for the word of God to 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 not treat it as common to not to not think oh it's just another book it's just some other words. But to actually see that, that God has spoken to his people, that he's, he, we've recorded this so that you can feed on it and it can bring life to you. I also take note of that, that there was a platform that was built for the elevation of God's word. Now, what can happen is we can hijack that platform for the elevation of personality, for the elevation of gifting, for the elevation of people. 
I've heard, I've heard you know, people talk about in, in Christian pastor circles about how you're building your platform. It's never for the exaltation of person. The platform, the, the, the stage, the pulpit is for the exaltation of Christ through his word. Not for the exaltation of a, a name, not to build a platform for yourself, not to, to, to make your gift the best thing in the whole world and see you up in lights. It's for the word of God to be preached. For his word to go out so that he is exalted above all. Not a platform for a personality or a person. Yes, we use this to express the gifts, but never to exalt ourselves. The next thing there, we see, we see a returning to the word of God, a reverence for the word of God. And then in Nehemiah chapter nine, uh, verse 9, we see a response to the word of God. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the scribe and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, Do not mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the Lord. And as Jean-Luc said, there was a responsiveness to the people. As they heard what was being said, they were mourning. They were weeping. They were moved, potentially convicted of some stuff that, that was taking place in their community. Maybe they, they, there was things that, that were being heard that they were like, we've forgotten all about that. We're being reminded of how good God is. And they start to mourn and weep at the, at the reading of the word. And it says, uh, and Nehemiah continued. So Ezra and Nehemiah start to uh, comfort them. Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is the sacred day before our Lord. Do not be dejected and sad for the joy of the Lord is our strength. As it was read, there was a responsiveness in the people. There was something that was happening as they heard the word going out. We, we heard last week that the name Nehemiah, if we can put that up, uh, lucky the name Nehemiah means Yahweh comforts Yahweh has comforted the name Ezra means help or Yahweh has helped when you when you think about that where else do we see the word comforter and helper when Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit that was to come he was he was given the name the comforter or the helper and here we see the people reading the word of God and the comforter and the helper coming alongside to help interpret and to show them what is being, what, what's being read, what's being listened to. The role of the Spirit bringing life to the word in us. The role of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, bringing alive the word to us. Showing us of the things that are in our hearts. Showing us of our need for God. Convicting us of those areas of sin. Convicting us, convicting us of the things where, we're, where we're, uh, we're going off track. Convicting us of righteousness, reminding us of the goodness of God. We don't just read through empty words. We read through with the helper, with the comforter who, who, who brings revelation to us. It shows us what he's wanting to say to us. And the response in our hearts is, is whatever he's showing us. But there's a responsiveness there. They're weeping. They're mourning. They're, 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 they are responding to what has been spoken. There was a young boy in a Sunday school in, in children's church. I'm not sure if it was here. Probably in Malaga. And uh, he was... 
they had, they had uh, just gone through a series on, you know, creation and talking about where people came from. And um, they talked about Adam and how Eve had come from his rib. And this young boy goes home and, and he's, he's laying on the floor later. And his mum comes out and says, what's, what's happening? And he goes, I've got a pain in my side. I think I'm having a wife. There was a responsiveness <laughs> to what, what he had heard. It, it challenged some of his thinking. It challenged what was happening in him. Let me ask you the question. When you come to the Word of God, is your heart soft? Is your mind ready to, to allow Him to speak? Or do you come with some sort of filter that says, I, I can't learn anything new here. I know what I'm doing. I'm in the right place. I'm in the right direction. Or do you allow this to read you, to read what's in you and to, and to show you what's happening there? And like JL said before, there's a shifting that takes place when we do this with the Holy Spirit. Because it's the same Spirit that convicts us of sin as the, the Spirit that convicts us of righteousness. It's the same Spirit that may point out some areas in our lives that, that, that need to tra- change and transform as the Spirit that gives the grace for the transformation. There's not a good Holy Spirit and a meaner Holy Spirit. The mean one like points out what's going wrong and the good one like encourages you. It's the same Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can bring conviction and encouragement at the same time. But how is your heart when you engage with the Scriptures? There was a responsiveness to it. And then lastly here, in, at the end of this, we see that there was a reformation through the Word. There was a reforming of the community of God through what they read in the Scriptures. So in verse 13, it says, On October 9th, the family leaders and all the people together with the priests and the Levites met with Ezra the scribe to go over the law in greater detail. I love that picture. That it's, it's like we've heard this the last day, we've read through this the last day, and then there was almost small group time where they broke it down in little groups and, and Levites were helping to understand. And now there's some people that are like, we just want to get even deeper into this. Surely there's some stuff that we've missed. That hunger that goes searching in God's word. Not searching to try and disprove something, but searching for for more because there's more in here than what you know right now. And you may have read it every day for the last 38 years. There is more in here than what you found to this date. And he says that they had this hunger and this desire to go through greater detail. In verse 14, as they studied the law, they discovered that the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites should live in shelters during the festival to be held that month. So they're reading and they realize, hang on a second, God had, had put something in place here and we haven't practiced this for a long time. And so it says, uh, it tells what should happen then. But then in verse 16, it says, So the people went out and cut branches and used them to build shelters on the roofs of their houses. What happens? They read God's word. They realize that they've been missing something. They haven't been celebrating this festival. And all of a sudden, they're like, wow, we've missed this. So what happens? We need to do it. So there's a reforming of their lives, their community, because of what they read in the scriptures. There's a reformation, there's change that comes as a result of what they have read and responded to in the scripture. And so they, they practice this festival 
and it's one that, that is a festival of celebration. Its, its Hebrew name is Sakot, which is like a Japanese person saying my name. <laughs> Sakot. It's a festival where they celebrate coming out of, of Egypt, the, the Exodus, and, and as they were in the wilderness. <laughs> Sorry. I can't help myself sometimes. What was I saying? It was this festival that they're coming out of Egypt and they, as they were in the wilderness, they, they built these, these, uh, these shelters to, to celebrate that they'd been delivered. And so it goes back to, back to that. And they realize, hey, we haven't been celebrating that. But so they read this, they respond to it, and then they do something with it. We see in the New Testament, we, we're instructed to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers, to respond, to put it into practice. And as you do that, there's transformation that comes. There's, there's change that comes. There's reformation that comes. Things start to change when we start to listen, read, go with what God is do, what, what he said to us and obey what he said. And this becomes a celebration for them. I would, I would say that we cannot transform community. We can't see uh, nations transformed. We can't see lives transformed, families transformed without keeping the, the, the word of God as part of that. As looking to what is he saying about this? What has he said to us about, about, uh, about families, about forgiveness, about reconciliation? What's he said to us about generosity? What's he said to us about all of these things? And then when we come to that point, how exciting is it when, when God points something out to you or you see something in Scripture that you haven't seen before, seen before? And you're like, whoa, I actually didn't see that. And now I feel like I've got this little bit of extra layer to, to my understanding, to my revelation, to who God is. And so now I want to go out and apply it. And it becomes a, a shift from just that mourning or that weeping to this celebration. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. He brings joy through this. So a returning to the Word of God, a reverence for the Word of God. I forgot the other one. No, there's another response to the Word of God, and then a reformation through the Word of God. This, this, past, this whole, whole chapter, just it, it puts it back to the start. It says, as the people came back and they, start, they've done, they finished the physical rebuilding of the walls, and now they're starting to rebuild the spiritual walls. They're starting to get the group identity again as God's people. And central to the identity of God's people is His Word, because it shows us who we are. It tells us who He is, and it shows us how we should live. And so that's what they bring back into this point, And that's where we leave it for chapter 9. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.